Welcome to Lawler Out Loud, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Christy Lawler, and this podcast focuses on highlighting the amazing men and women that make a difference in the world. And we hope to prove that every single person has the power to make a difference and make an impact. Today's guest is Chef Brian Duffy. First, let me thank you, Chef, for joining us today to share your story, all about your life, your experiences, everything, all your ideas, all of it. Well, thanks for letting me be on. I'm excited. I'm so honored to have you. You know, you're my first male guest on this podcast. Really? I'm very excited about that. Yes, I know. This is why I texted you. I'm like, I need a solid man. (laughs) I'm excited. I've got all my witty women and I need you. So let's start by um, tell us a little bit more about yourself. And this can be everything from like, you know, childhood to you know starting as a teenager whatever I just want to know everything about you (laughs) you do a lot you're very dynamic well thank you very much uh my name is Brian Duffy and I am a chef I live in Philadelphia uh anybody who wants to get in touch with me or follow me or any of that good stuff I'm all over social media I'm a huge fan of social media as is pretty much everybody in the world these days but you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at chef Duff. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Chef Brian Duffy. Uh, you can find me on pretty much all of the platforms that are out there except for TikTok because I'm a 48-year-old man and not a <laughs> 17-year-old girl. And I'm not there quite yet, but I'm going to work on it and I'm going to get it done. Um, on TikTok? Uh, yeah, you know, they do little videos here and there with stuff. So they, <laughs> they, they, I think they like it. They think they watch them more than they make them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad you're not on TikTok, Brian. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, but everybody, I mean, it's like they're saying it's taking over Instagram. I mean, everybody who's talking about it is saying that a lot more content now is starting to happen through TikTok and even for for influencers and stuff like that, you know, that there's a huge uh, you know, kind of market out there for people that have TikTok. But, you know, look, I'm a chef. I take pictures of food, I take pictures of my feet when I travel and (laughs) <laughs> I take pictures, of, you know, I take videos of my crazy late night, um, you know, escapades while I'm on the road. So Yeah. Well, uh, so some of that is TikTok content, right? I think some of it is, but I, <laughs> I'm still kind of like, I'm an old school kind of romantic. Like I love, I think I, I did a video the other night of me sitting at the bar and I, I, I want everybody to know this right off the bat. I am not like a beer connoisseur. Um, I think IPAs taste like shit. Um, I think, yeah. Hey, I hate to tell you. No, not sacrilege at all. We all have our own individual opinions. And I I I used to hate them too. I get it. Now I love them. To put something that bitter in my mouth, like I would rather (laughs) suck on a lemon than to put something that bitter in my mouth. And in reality, I love Budweiser. I love Miller High Life. I like a PBR. I don't drink yeah. much, so if I'm going to go yeah. out and drink beer, those are the three beers I'm going to drink. And if I'm going to drink while I'm out and like have a couple of cocktails, I will drink Grey Goose and Soda Single Tall with a couple of olives and a lime. And I'm set for the night. So you're the guy that sticks with what works. I stick with what works because I'm 48 years old. And because <laughs> I've, I've, I have, I've practiced enough in my life to know that the word shots is just waiting for trouble. Um, you know, like yeah. I'd rather hang out all <laughs> night long and party with you guys all night long than do five shots and be sitting in a corner pissed off and angry. It's just not for me. <laughs> so, yeah. No, just literally somebody, I, I went to meet my husband and some friends for lunch last weekend and I show up and all of a sudden there are tequila shots and I'm like, Seriously, they're still serving the breakfast menu at this restaurant. Oh, yeah. Well, okay, no one does shots alone in my presence. (laughs) (laughs) I was in, I guess it was uh, Tuesday, Monday, Monday, Tuesday night. I was in Gulfport, Mississippi. And I'm sitting at this tiny little awesome dive bar called Rooney's. Mm. And one of the people that was with us, like, I turn around and there's five shots of fireball behind me. And I looked at her. And I was like, can I curse? Are we cool? Is that like, yes, I, of course. I was like, are you a fucking asshole? 
was like, you're a 46 year old woman who orders shots of fireball at 46 years old. I was like, one, you're going to miss your flight. Two, you're going to text me middle of the day tomorrow and tell me how pissed off you are at me because I kept you out, but you ordered the shots of fireball. Like, there's just <laughs> no, I, I'm no need for that. I'm an adult. I'm good. But I do have do fun. Are. And, and I, I do have a lot of fun when I'm out there. So I just choose yeah. not to drink a lot anymore. So, yeah, I get you. I yeah. get you. Plus, there's too many assholes out there. Wow. You know, there's too many people that are just, uh, that I find, especially of traveling around the world, you know, there's some people that are just looking for trouble. And alcohol yeah. just fuels the, 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 the attitude and the anger. And, uh, you know, I was at a concert a couple of weeks ago and uh, I had walked over to the bar and I got a glass of water and I got a goose and soda. Goose and soda was in my left hand. Glass of water was in my right hand. I turned around with my glasses raised up high and spilled some water on this guy's shoulder. And he turns around and he looks, and this was in Philly. And he turns around uh-huh. and he looks at me and goes, what are you, fucking asshole? What are you, what are you doing? I looked oh at the guy God. and I was like, and I was like, that's the difference between alcohol and weed. Have a wonderful evening. And I turned around and walked away. Like, <laughs> yeah. there you go. And I was drinking yeah. the water and my buddy was drinking the goose. Like, it's just, it's just, well, there's too much I agree with you. Had. I think, I think alcohol has always been a highlighter. So if you're sure. a really happy person, it highlights that. Yeah. And makes you even happier. And if you're if you're hiding some aggressive behavior and aggression patterns, sure. That's gonna highlight that. And I don't I don't really want to be around the uh, the no. latter of those two personality types when they're well lubricated. But I think we all have that there's like the magical number. You know, yeah. I know that Four goose and sodas are good for me and then I'm done. And it's one of the reasons why I drink goose and soda and I put olives and lime in it and I drink a single tall because one, Mm -hmm. it's a single, it's a one and a quarter ounce of, of goose. And then the rest is ice and, and club soda. But when I get to a point where I'm like, all right, I'm done drinking for the night. I can just start getting soda and nobody knows. So I'm just continuing on with my night Whereas, you know, if I'm drinking bourbon, which I adore, I love mm-hmm. bourbon, but I just, it, it gets me drunk too fast. I feel like crap too fast. And on top of it, there's a guilt that happens the next day with me with alcohol that uh, mm-hmm. I just, I, I feel like I did something completely wrong and I didn't. Yeah. What, just weird. What, what, where does that come from? I, I think it's deep down. We don't have to dig into that today. That's another, <laughs> another session. time. Another time. Maybe not when we're recording. Yeah, it's another time. Um, no, but so I love to me- go out and I love to be social. So yeah. I, have, I don't know. I don't drink a lot, but go ahead. What, tell you what. That's okay. That's okay. I want to know more about, about you, your your background. Like, how did, how did you get into the culinary world? And like, what was it? You're from well, Philly originally, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Tell me a little I was bit about born, that. I mean, I was I was born and raised in uh, the suburbs of Philadelphia. Um, my parents were pretty amazing people. Uh, my mother was a nurse, and my father was a teacher. Mm-hmm. So my father taught honors chemistry and physics for like twenty seven years. Oh, wow. um, he had three master's degrees, I believe, and a doctorate when he passed away. My gosh. Um, he died of pancreatic cancer about two years ago. He was a super intelligent man. Um, and so was my mother, you know what I mean? And they raised four kids um, in the suburbs of Philadelphia in a very, very wealthy section of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents busted their asses to really make ends meet. I mean, four kids yeah. on, a, on a Catholic school teacher salary I- – and a nurse's side. Yeah, that doesn't go very far you know, with four kids. Doesn't. No, not at all. So my father worked. My father always worked two jobs. He worked wow. uh, a job teaching. And then in the summers when he was off, I mean, my father did everything from a janitor at the high school during summer school to working at Sears, um, selling, you know, kitchens and baths. And then he actually left teaching and went into the kitchen and bath industry. And then in the eighties, the recession hit, we almost lost our house. Um, 
you know, like, and my father was always super resilient and always bounced back from everything that ever happened um, and always took care of the family. And, you know, he went back to teaching and he was an administrator and uh, he was just a really dynamic individual with a very big Irish Catholic personality, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with Italian mixed into him. And he was raised uh, by seven women his my father's mother, my grandmother, got divorced. Whoa! When my father was when she was seven months pregnant, oh. because her husband was an alcoholic and he was a raging weekend alcoholic, so he busted his ass all week long at work, and then just got a and then on the weekends. What would just become a drunken? You know, this is in the forties. So my grandmother got divorced in the 40s. Yeah, that didn't happen. And never very remarried. Much. Back then. She was a single mom. She moved back into, I think she got an apartment and moved in. Like her sisters helped her. It was pretty impressive what she had done. So, yeah. so that and my mother, you know, my mother was, was born an Irish Catholic woman out of Euclid, Ohio, and super sweet and super conservative. And, uh, you know, I mean, she was just a cool chick and I had, uh, so I have an older sister who's three years older than I am. I have two younger brothers that are twins that are three years younger than I am. And I was the middle kid, you know, um, I was trouble. I was hell on wheels. I broke bones all the time. Okay. I was going to say yours Um, or other people's. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, I, you know, I was a really, I was a sweet kid. I was a really, really nice Mm -hmm. kid. Um, and, you know, I used to get in a little trouble here and there. I had ADD and this was ADD at a time when they didn't know what to do. Yeah. You know, there wasn't really the programs and the and the 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 assistance that we have now with IEPs and, you know, the, the, the constant level of of monitoring that happens in schools. So for me, uh, I hated school at the from two years until I graduated college. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like despised. Well, ADD didn't um, exist. I went to Catholic school. Back then. Like, they, and, well, they didn't, didn't have a and, way and to I, even associate it with anything. So there was no support whatsoever. Right. None. What, none in yeah. any way. And for me, you know, I mean, it was, it was pretty apparent that I was, that I would struggle. I would get my work done, but I did it on my own, on my own, through my own devices. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't a, a student that learned in the, the normal in reality, Catholic school way. Yeah. Um, and, and I couldn't stand Catholic school. Uh, I hated it. So I en- ended up going in fifth grade to public school mm-hmm. um, where I became super social. And, you know, I think I kind of came out of this little tiny shell that I had. And I was really, uh, you know, I was an athlete. I was wrestling and playing football and I played a lot of soccer and I was just constantly, I was doing track and field. And I mean, I was just, uh, you know, I was doing shot put and long jump. Yeah. Um, so I was a strong, strong kid. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I mean, I just, and that was, you know, I grew up in a, in a really cool, very loving household, um, with a lot of Catholic guilt. <laughs> um, you, you know, I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. Um, and I was the only kid who didn't go to Catholic school. Both of my brothers and my sister did. And my father taught at the Catholic high yeah. school. Was that a struggle so for, it was like, for I'm you going... to, to get to the point where you were able to seek a different educational path from the school that everybody else was attending? No, because I mean, to me, I had, I really had my own life. I had my own drug mm-hmm. um, that I kind of beat to, you know, I was diagnosed with ADD at 13, okay. but, but back then my parents weren't informed until I was 16. Mm. So there was three years there where there was a lot that could have happened and nothing could have. So oddly enough, my father did his doctorate on the effects of ADD, ADHD on the secondary male high wow. school. Wow. Okay. Your dad was clearly so like, an amazing dude. That's, a, oh, that's incredible. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was, he, cause he wanted to yeah. know and he wanted to figure out and he ended up being director of special education for a school district around here. Wow. And, you know, so he was really, and he, it's funny cause he looked at me when I, when I graduated high school and he said, I wish to God that I knew then what I know now, yeah. because we would have gone down a different path. Um, but I, but I think that if I would have gone down that path that I wouldn't have ended up doing what it is that I do today. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, well, I mean, you know, honestly, because I was such a free thinker, Mm -hmm. 
I, you know, I got through school uh, figuring things out on my own. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't going up to the teacher and saying, hey, I don't understand this. I was like, all right, I got to figure this out because I don't want to, I don't, you know, I've just got to figure it out. So I was very analytical with the way that things worked. And um, I've always loved the, the process of things. So I'm a, I, was, I was always like, I loved science, you know, cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really helped me to kind of grow into being a chef. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, was, I graduated high school at 18. Um, I moved out of my parents' house at 18. Um, you know, I, I worked in, I started working at a very young age of 14. Oh, really? Um, you know, bussing tables and washing dishes and doing all that stuff. And then I think it was about 19 years old where I said, I'll never work in another restaurant. <laughs> Famous last word. Done. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was done. I did cause it was constant. It was nights and weekends and holidays. And so I went and worked for Ralph Lauren in the city in Philadelphia. And I was 19 years wow. old, like working amongst all these adults. Um, and, uh, and you know, I mean, it was, it was it was a really neat experience because one, I love clothes yeah. and two, I love people. So I was able to talk to people. But I was like, I was the weird salesman. Like I had the drug dealers. <laughs> like they were the guys like one guy who, who had a crew. He ran a crew oh and he came in and bought 10 $600 leather jackets. I think it was. They were like this velvety, <laughs> buttery, soft, red leather polo jacket. Oh and I remember getting his name because I think we had to get one in. And like two days later, all of the jackets went on sale. <gasps> and I called him and I was like, yo, dude, I just want to let you know, like all these jackets are now $100 off. So I just saved him a grant. Yeah. You know, and I was like the fa- I was like the, the the salesman to the drug dealers at that. That's point. hilarious. Like these guys were coming in with just huge wads of cash, <laughs> and like peeling off, you know, a thousand dollars and hundred dollar bills, and and you know, here's me like making three percent commission on a goddamn <laughs> sale. Hey, three percent um, of a six thousand dollar sale is still that's not bad for nineteen. Yeah, no, in in the nineties, yeah. But, but do you know what happened was when I first started working for Ralph Lauren, I had to buy $2,000 worth of clothes. So I'm 19 years old. So what they do, and this was such a scam, what they did was they were like, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll set you up with a line of credit. Oh. So you can buy these clothes and then you can pay it back at 26%. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, I buy all these clothes. I get them all altered. And there was a girl named Peggy who worked there. And her and I went out one night with a whole bunch of the other people. And again, I was 19. Mm-hmm. I was the youngest kid, the youngest of the group. There was a guy named Terry. Uh, there was a, a guy named uh, this, this like devilishly handsome looking man named John. And then there was me. You know, I was like, I was a 19 year old kid. So anyway, we go out. Well, somebody broke into her goddamn car and took everything out of the car. And it was the day that I picked up all no! of the clothes from the, from the tailor. <gasps> so now I'm like set back. And now, I'm, you know, they, they like, I would go into work and I would get a pair of pants off of the rack and put a pair of jeans. Like it was bad. Oh, that sucks. Um, yeah. So I left there about a year later and ended up going back into the restaurant industry. And my buddy was like, you should go to school for this. So I ended up going to culinary school and, and day one was when I just realized how much, what a cool thing I thought it was. You know, I mean, I had, I now had a title to what it is that I was going to be doing. You know, I wasn't a a cashier. I was a chef. Like there was a huge difference there. And I just thought that was really cool. So I worked at the four seasons in Philadelphia Oh. And for free. For free. And I worked at, yeah, it was an apprenticeship. Oh, my gosh. And they didn't pay students. So I worked at the Four Seasons in Philly. I worked at this really cool Italian restaurant called San Marco, 
which was owned by these two guys, Lucio Fini and Fausto De Carlo. And I learned a boatload from those guys. And then I would, so I, on a given day, I would go to the Four Seasons at seven, be done at three. Then I would go to San Marco at four and be done at nine. And then I would go to the bar where I would bounce for $8 an hour wow. and work from 10 until four. Goodness. And how, how old were you so, at this point? And like 20, 21? I mean, I was 21, 20, 21 years old. And I was, and I was, and I was going to school full time. Of course still. you are. So like there were periods, you know, whether I think I went to school three days a week Mm -hmm. and then those other days I worked at the Four Seasons and all that stuff. So I was constantly busting my like there was I will never forget that they they like put a petition around. They wanted to start a softball team. And I looked at him and I was like, (laughs) are you fucking kidding me? You want to start a softball team in the middle of like what? What? Where? What am I missing? here? I'm working two goddamn jobs for free. <laughs> what are you? I'm going to school full time. Yeah. And you guys want to play softball on the weekends. Yeah. What weekends? There is no weekend so, with that schedule. Well, so that, but here's the yeah. deal is that my graduating class was 12 because so many people dropped um... out at that point. And then out of all of that, I want to say that the entire softball team is no longer in the industry. Uh, and <laughs> those of us who are, are now, you know, I mean, we're, we're doing something. Yes. Like one of the girls is, uh, she's the, the executive chef for like Harris in Atlantic city. Uh, one dude owns a very successful, uh, food truck and private chef business. And, you know, and then there's me, the short fat dude who travels all over the country drinking goose and soda. So. <laughs> yeah. That is just incredible. Oh my gosh. You know, it's funny. Yeah. I, I, I had to do the same thing in college too. Like I literally had to do my credit hours in two days. So I would go to school from 7 a.m. Yeah. to 7 p.m. every Tuesday and Thursday. And then I would work. I had two internships and two jobs and I would bounce between all the jobs the other five days. I never had a day off. Yeah. And I was starving. No. I was so poor. I would go on a date with anybody just for the food. It was just for dinner. Pathetic. Yeah, absolutely. I used to eat. I used to go to Produce Junction. I lived. I worked for a company at one point. I I think I was 18 years old and I worked for a company. Are you ready for this? Called Anchors Away. And they gave me a truck with a freezer in the back of it that we would travel around selling steak, shrimp and lobster out of the back of this goddamn truck. And I got to a point that I was making zero money. Oh my gosh. Zero. And what I was doing was going to Produce Junction and buying artichokes and stuffing artichokes with like stale triscuits and butter and baking them in the oven. And that's what I would eat until I realized that I had an entire goddamn freezer (laughs) filled with steak, shrimp, and lobster. And one night we just had a party and then i and then i dropped the truck off in the parking lot never went back to work oh my god you totally ghosted them i was done i totally ghosted them (laughs) well we went four wheeling one day in the trucks with all with like that i I don't know with with two thousand dollars worth of meat and seafood in the back of the truck and we're four wheeling yeah my buddy got stuck i had to pull him out when i dropped the truck off it was like it was filthy and empty. <laughs> so bad. And the owner Fantastic. kept calling me. He was this really nice guy. This really, really nice guy who was kind of douchebaggery at the same time. You know, yeah. like you knew that he was stabbing you in the back while he was giving you a big hug, telling you what a great job you <laughs> yes. were doing. And I just I just remember like never taking a phone call from him again. Yeah. Yeah, change that. That was, that was pretty funny. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh, it was so bad. It was so bad. Oh my god! What a horrible existence that was. You know, I just I worked... had to drive around. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! Sorry. No, I just, I was bartending at Red Lobster because every Crabby Monday I would gorge on all you can eat crab legs at my employee discount. Oh price. my god! Yes. I would go in hours yeah. before my bartending shift. And just, <laughs> I would sit there and eat my weight. Damn it, Christy's here legs. again. Exactly, they knew. Christy's here. Fucking Christy. <laughs> then she's gonna work. 
<laughs> you're behind the bar and you're like burping up <laughs> fake butter. I know. Uh, they've I know. done. How about that company? How about the transformation that they have made over the last 15 years? Yeah. Like totally reinventing themselves into, you know, I don't know if you remember the commercials that they first started with that were, it was basically like a fisherman turning around and handing a chef lobster and then the chef turning around to the camera and like putting the lobster in front of you. Yeah. Like now saying, we have chefs. This is what we're doing. And it was a brilliant marketing plan. Yeah. Well, see, there was... They're killing it now. There was a little bit of a... Okay, so this was back in back in the 90s, right? So I was in Arizona, really you know, known for the beach and the fresh water. Right. You know. So. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so we're really... That I mean, fresh seafood very, you're pulling every day. Exactly. So we were... And I was on the west side of Phoenix, which is the rougher Meanwhile, side. meanwhile... <laughs> Red Lobster uh, corporate is going, <laughs> we're in Arizona. I know. Well, it was Darden back in those days. It oh, was yeah, that's The right. Olive Darden. Garden crew from uh, the restaurant next door would come over and use their employee discount at Red Lobster and vice versa. We'd go sit in that little oh my God, that's fake, so Ital- fake Italy bar of theirs. <laughs> oh, so bad. My mother loves it. She loves Olive Garden oh, and Red Lobster. The biscuits and the, and the breadsticks. And the endless salad. No offense, that salad's awesome. I tell them I want half dressing, and the salad's on fire. It's great. It is. It is. My kids love it. Okay, so how did you find your inspiration? Because you just kind of fell back into culinary, but how did you really discover Uh, that this was was it? Females. I used to cook, and it was instant gratification for dates. Uh, Let's leave it at that. Look at you. I will never forget. I. I dated a girl named Tina. I won't say her name out loud, but I remember making her a, I lived in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I lived in what may as well have been a condemned house. <laughs> it was a, the house was horrific. And we used to come home and get, we would go out to the bars and just get shit faced and come home and cook. And one night I made stuffed Cornish game hens for her. And I was like, oh, this is totally on. Yeah. And then she walked in and I like set down the dinner and she was like, oh my God, that's so nice. I'm a vegetarian. <gasps> and I was like, all right, well, cool. Well, it's a game hen. So you'll be fine. Like, you'll be fine. It's not a real chicken. It's a small one. You should be okay. Like, I will just never forget that. Yeah. Cooking that meal for her. But, uh, but that, you know, I mean, it was like. Pretty baller. That's what that's it was then. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like I would make these great fucking meals for these people. And then I would actually cook for friends as well, mm-hmm. like for friends and their girlfriends. And they'd be like, Hey, here's 50 bucks. Thanks. And then I'd meet them at the bar after. Yeah. You know, like that was what I did. And so then when I finally came back home and I went to school, it was, uh, that's when I kind of got serious mm-hmm. because then it was, I was dating the same girl for a while and I used to cook at her house almost nightly. I would, whatever I learned in school that day, I would go back to her house, this great Italian household, mm-hmm. and I would cook for her and her family all the time. Oh, my God. They must have just loved you. Like, her mother would talk to me and be like, all right, well, what, what do you want to do for tomorrow? I'm like, I don't know. We're breaking down chickens, so maybe we can get some chickens. And I would, like, oh break God. down chickens and then sear off chicken breast and roast off the legs and thighs. Like, it was so funny because yeah. I was so into it. It was just such a cool thing for me. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was. A, they were cool people. They were a nice family. That's awesome, um, though. And I do. I agree. I love taking the raw materials of the items in the kitchen and turning it into something yeah. that's completely edible. Because it's not like totally, you're going to sit 100%. there and you're going to eat the paprika by itself. But damn, what right, is it? Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe yeah. some weirdos and, and was, do, but, you know, I don't. <laughs> but it also got to a point for me that this was, I was, uh, this was a driving force for me. Yeah. I mean, I was... I was going to school because I went to college and I hated college. I couldn't stand the mainstream college um, because it just wasn't. Remember, I, I've hated school since yeah. second grade, like fully despised it, like could not and now stand you're going to, to school. <laughs> and now I'm paying to hate yeah. it. Exactly. So for me, it was I mean, and not only that. But this was so directed into what it was. This kind of cleared my ADD. 
Like I never took a pill. I never took Ritalin or any of that stuff. When I went to school, I was like, I want something to make sure that I'm going to focus and do this the right way. So I took, I took Ritalin, which is completely fucked up, but to help me to focus during the times when I was in school. Hmm. And it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a a game, like a deal breaker, a game changer Mm -hmm. for me at that point. Um, But I was so dedicated to what I was doing. I really loved it. I mean, I graduated culinary school and five days later, I was in three days later, I was in the Keys. Like I left Philadelphia and moved to Key Largo. Nice. Because I had, so I was bouncing at a bar and there was this wonderful, this stunningly beautiful girl. And we're talking like 1994 hot, right? (laughs) Super hot, like hair feathered just out of the eighties, a couple of years. And she walked up to the bar on one of the biggest nights of the bar. It was the night before Thanksgiving. And she was like, uh, I am, uh, I don't have my ID. And I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry. I can't let you in. And she's like, this is fucked up, blah, blah, blah. She's like, my parents just bought a bar in Key Largo. And I'm moving there tomorrow. And I'm literally going out tonight to see all my friends. And I was like, give me your phone number. Because I'm going down to the Keys next week. Mm-hmm. To go down an interview at the Ocean Reef Club. Oh, my God. Which was in Key Largo. And she was like, don't go to them. Come and talk to me instead. And I will, because my parents are opening a restaurant. Uh-huh. So we're going to need a sous chef or, or something like that. So I was like, you go into the bar and have fun. Like, and then, uh, I, and then I, I went to, down to Orlando. I ended up blowing off my interview at the Ocean Reef Club. Because the girl who I went to see in Orlando, her car didn't have brakes. <gasps> and she forgot to tell me prior to flying down. So she's like, if you want to borrow my car, you're going to have to put new brakes on it. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It was craziness. So I <laughs> went back to Philadelphia, had the job set up in the Keys. And then my best friend and my two best friends married each other. We drove down to the Keys took like a mini vacation so that I could go down and interview down at this restaurant. I walked in, they interviewed me. The guy's like, yeah, you'll be fine. And I left and I had a job. Wow. And I moved down to the keys. I graduated December 5th and December or 6th, December 9th. I lived, I was in Key Largo. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I lived down there for a year and then I came back home and started, and I was the chef of places. Wow. And I fucked up that place down in Key Largo. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> because I was so, fo- and don't get me wrong, like, I, I, I learned the numbers portion of the business, and this is something I talk about all the time. Yeah. Like, my first, my chef was an asshole. He used to burn me all the time, and he was a drinker. Oh. Um, he was just an asshole. He used to throw plates and potatoes at servers. I never understood um, and I came out chef. of. I never understood that guy. No, I've well, worked with them but too. I, I don't like them. <laughs> I, came, I came out of the Four Seasons. Yeah. So I worked with, at that point, who was Jean-Marie Lacroix, the godfather of Philadelphia Kitchens. Mm-hmm. Like he was known for being just the greatest chef in Philadelphia mm-hmm. along, with Jean, along with George Perrier. So like for me to be able to walk in, here's a really quick story. One day I left early. I had no ride, but I had to get to work. So my sister was leaving the city and she's like, well, I'll pick you up at exactly three o'clock. You have to be outside because I have to go to work right after. And I was like, all right, cool. So I literally walk out the back door and roll, like said goodbye to my, my direct chef, a guy named David Gottlieb, who we hated each other and ended up working together down the road. But that's a longer, another time story. But but I walked out the back door. The next day when I walked in, uh, the chef walked over to me and he's like, is everything okay? You know, you didn't say goodbye to me yesterday. Oh. Like this was a guy, I worked there for free. Uh-huh. And then he had, rec- and then I understood that he recognized what it was that I was doing and that I was there. I wasn't just a free employee. And then oddly enough, like I got the balls to go in and ask for, to get paid. And he was like, no. Oh. I was like, well, you Like, you noticed me. Like, I wasn't here. Like, I left. And he's like, yeah, we don't pay students from the restaurant school. Oh. 
And I was like, all right, well, fine. I want to get on the line. I want to be put on saute. And I was like cocky about it. Mm-hmm. And so my su- so the sous chef literally like looked at me one Friday afternoon and he's like, you're working saute tonight. <gasps> I burnt the shit out of myself. <laughs> I sweat. Like I could never have imagined yeah. in my life what sweat was than working saute at the Four Seasons in Philadelphia. Oh my god, it was craziness. Yeah, but it was super cool. So I was really aggressive. So when I graduated culinary school, like I knew that I was never going to see any of those people again. Really. So I did, you know, I mean, I just stepped on everybody to get over them and past them. Because at one point I was like, we are all going to be going for the same jobs at some point. Yeah. Because there weren't that many restaurants in Philadelphia at that point. Yeah. You know, and now they're churning out a student every hour. So Yeah, it's a much bigger yeah. field. I mean, a lot has yes, changed. It's a much bigger field. Yeah. Yeah, a lot has changed. But- and I never knew then that I would be doing what I'm doing now. Well, and I think the opportunities have improved. Um, I was talking to a girlfriend yesterday that promotes the bartending side as a craft and a career. I think the same could be said for the culinary side. Like you're no longer just uh, the the guy on the line. You're you're the one that's setting the flavor tone for someone else's dining experience. It's it's a big responsibility and it's a huge field. And I love it. It's massive. But but the problem is, is that the people that are working, it's a very small group Mm -hmm. of people that are working underneath of that chef from whatever level that actually give a a full shit. (laughs) You know, because it's just a job. Why am I working here making $12 an hour when I can work it out back for 16 and all I got to do is peel onions? You know, and I, I, I keep trying to explain to people, like I had a kid who, who worked for me for the last couple of weeks and he had just gotten out of prison. Um, and, I, and I'm a big, look, I'm a fan of somebody who gets out of prison and wants to really do something. Yeah. You know, you've got to get a job. And, and I said to him, if you give me one year, I will teach you something that will feed you for the rest of your life. That's awesome. I will give you every opportunity. The guy was late every single day. His girlfriend was calling him out, telling me that he was at, she was acting as his mother, that their father died. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a really, really big deal. And, and I paid this kid all the time. I paid him after each shift because he didn't have any money. Yeah. And he had a four-month-old at home. <gasps> and I felt bad for him. Yeah. And uh, his check didn't get to him on time the other day. And he told me that he was going to come up there and kick my ass if I didn't get him his check in time. Oh. Like, like I did, I would have done anything for this kid. Yeah. Aww. You know, I even called his girlfriend and I said, I just want to let you know that you are affecting him at work. That sucks. Like you're texting him 40, 50 times in the middle of a shift and you just called him and told him that he had to come home because you wanted to go out. Like he's at work. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. Aww. You know, and I sat him down and I, and I, like, this is a kid who I, I said, if you show up early on Thursday, just come in an hour beforehand and I will get you, we'll get you a bank account. We'll get you a state issued ID so that you can take your paycheck and actually go to, to, to a bank and deposit it. Cause he was going to a check cashing. Oh, where they take so much. He was where he was giving his check to his girlfriend, Mm. you know, so that she could then take the check in and, you know, there were sometimes that, I mean, it was just a pain in the ass and, you know, but that's, that's what I see more and more of Yeah, is guys like that, you know, and, and if he would have just given one year, if he would have just worked hard for one year, I would have, you know, I would have taught him something. And Well, he's not sucks. ready. I he's just, I, clearly, he's not ready to yeah, get out of He's 41 years old. Oh, he's not a he's kid. He's 41 years old. Oh, my God. 41 years old yeah and and it's just a shame you know you're calling him a kid he doesn't even know he doesn't even know if the child is his oh this poor guy he's not 100 percent, and that's exactly how i feel yeah he just doesn't know and 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 he can't get out of his own way and you can't you can't help yeah Yeah. oh that sucks man i'm sorry that you're going you're facing that right now but Uh, i'm not i'm not oh no no i'm not facing any of it now (laughs) (laughs) i'm done yeah you get to a point that 
that you can just, you can only try to help people for so long. And then it's like, okay, my efforts are being wasted on this moment right now. And that's a bad thing to say. My efforts are not being recognized, I think, or are not being taken the way that they should. So I need to move on. Yeah. And that's kind of what I do. You know, I really try to educate my staff. I have a very young staff in my restaurant in Philly. Mm -hmm. So I, I really try to educate them. I'm very communicative with them. I'm about accountability. You know, my guy called me yesterday morning and was like, hey, somebody forgot to turn the lights off the night before. They've got to turn the goddamn lights off in the restaurant. And I said, well, don't, don't tell me. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell me. Tell the group. They like turn off let the ev- lights, let- but it's also not yeah. the end of the world. Well, you know, in this day and age, it is. I mean, I have a very small property. And do I want to waste money on electricity overnight? You know, yeah. when I don't need to, I mean, you know, I mean, I have a small little property. Yeah. It's a barbecue spot in the middle of the winter. I don't have a liquor license and my electric bill is eleven hundred dollars a month. You're kidding. That's insane. Uh, well, it's electric and gas. OK, OK. You know, so you think about it. I mean, I, my smoker, one of my smokers is run by gas. Yeah. Well, that's where. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, you've got to watch that. Stuff, yeah, but, for sure. But so it's a constant teaching. Yeah thing with everybody i just texted everybody this morning my daughter closed the restaurant last night she didn't do a good job so her Ooh. and i had a little conversation on the way to school this morning yeah. oh my gosh bless your heart so i want to know the, if yeah. you weren't if you weren't a chef if you weren't doing this what do you think you'd be doing like how would you spend your time what's alternate what, version of your reality i mean i i think about this all the time because now as i've gotten older i kind of i kind of you know what would it, what would i have done um, I think, I think I would be like, like a park ranger. Really? Like at the Grand Canyon just, or Yosemite? Nah, I think like maybe in a park where nobody really goes, <laughs> you know, like I just kind of think, I, I, I think, well, one, cause I just, I'm, I love the outdoors. I absolutely love the outdoors. Whenever I go to a city, I try to walk around as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I'm home, I mean, my dog, like my dog is asleep right now at the bottom of my bed, you know, under my feet. Because mm-hmm. um, we just did three and a half miles of the park this morning. Like it's an off-leash park. She gets to run around like a maniac and I get to hit a nice pace and a really nice walk. We hike a lot. Yeah. So I'm constantly outside and, um, you know, I love to see new things. I mean, I, I ride in the Pacific Northwest every year. I ride a Harley out there. Nice. And, I see things that most people are never, ever going to see in their life. So for me, you know, to be able to protect that and, um, you know, to be able to monitor that and oversee that is something that I think would be really kind of cool. Yeah. Hey, I love that answer. So I'm a big fan of the yeah. outdoors too. But there's really not much to well, do you're outside in... in Houston, though, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. I'm from yeah, an outdoors no, state, okay? I'm from Arizona. We had stuff to climb yes. there is nothing to climb oh my there. god the- how about arizona what a beauty like what just a pure display of beauty on oh, a daily I basis oh uh, i know and, i mean forget the fact forget the fact that it's hot as bones out there like let's yeah. be realistic it's Nobody like living wants to inside live in a hell. hair dryer in the summer <laughs> well you could be in florida yeah except there it's moist I mean, there's no moisture it's just horrible I know. my daughter goes to school in jacksonville and i'm like thank god you're not going to be there in the summer oh oh it's, so, it's the summer <laughs> august you know oppressive. they make you want to kill people not like legitimately yeah. but they make you very angry <laughs> yeah i know I, i'm a huge fan of texas yeah i'm a huge fan of texas i love the people i love the freedom I love the patriotic nature of them. Um, I love the simplicity of a lot of it. You know, and I'm talking, I'm, you know, I'm talking about Dallas and a lot of the outskirts and mm-hmm. Austin and, um, you know, a lot of that San Antonio. I'm not as familiar with Houston, um, although I know it's a very, very young town. Yes. It's one of the youngest in the country. The average age is like 35, I think. And we're a huge restaurant city. And a massive restaurant yeah. city. Yeah. Yeah. But I think everybody's a massive restaurant city anymore. You know, I would agree with that, too, for sure. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, think about Philadelphia. So 25, 30 years ago, which sounds weird, um, there were 900, you know, 950, 1,000 restaurants in Philadelphia. Now we have over 9,000. 
That's crazy. Over 9,000 hospita- hospitality outlets. That's crazy. You know, that's including, including cafes and yeah. bakeries and, you know, things like that. But, but we're all trying to get the best of the best when in reality what we're doing is just recycling help. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in a lot of cases. So, so I've yeah. changed a lot of the ways that I do things in restaurants, the way that I educate, the way that I lead, the way that I mentor, um, a lot of that stuff. I really want to give people an opportunity, but I want them to think as well. Yeah. You know, like one of my employees walked down the, walked in the back door the other day and I had a, a, a screw gun on the, the server station because I was hanging things. And she walked over and she's like, what should I do with this? And I said, what would you do if you, if you were in your house? <laughs> with a tool <laughs> she said I, I put it in the toolbox i said that sounds like a perfect answer oh you know like i'm not just gonna be like oh just put it in the toolbox like i want you to think especially an 18 year old and 19 year old kid yeah because i think that we've we've taken away a lot of the the thinking the the analytical part of things let me look at this let me figure out what to do with it instead of you know, my daughter went to open the door the other day. She's like, Dad, I can't get the door open. And she just stood there. Oh, my. Well, I think it's just a difference of the way our parents raised us versus the way we were trained to raise our kids. Honestly. Yeah. We do so much I, but for I've our been, kids. I've, I've been very, my children are full on in accountability. Yeah. You know, like Fiona's, Fiona's been grounded. She's my baby. She's 15. She's been grounded more in the last year than my 18-year-old was in five years. Oh. You know, Fiona's pushing the envelope a little bit. Yeah. She's, a, she's a sophomore in high school. Her boyfriend is a senior. She's been friends with all the older kids because of her sister. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she stole a bottle of Tito's out of my basement a bunch of weeks ago. Um, and I just said, is there anything you have to tell me? And I, I don't even think I got the word do, to tell me out. And she was like, I took a bottle of Tito's from the basement. And then I brought it to a party and everybody drank it. I didn't have any because I don't like the vodka. And then I brought it to, my, to mom's house and I saved it. And it's in, it was in the closet. Oh, my gosh. So she just completely like, came I, clean. Yeah. I mean, and I knew all of that ahead of time. Yeah. You know, but, but, and, but she knew it right off the bat. And, you know, the other day she was being, you know, she took money out of an account. And I told them they're not allowed. We have a joint account between the three of us so that there's, if there's ever an emergency, there's always money available. Yeah. Well, Fiona ordered a whole bunch of food while her boyfriend was probably smoking weed in the basement of her, of his house. And, you know, I'm like, I'm not feeding your, your friends. You have to ask me before you transfer money. And she didn't. So she was grounded for a week. I had to be off her phone by at seven o'clock every day. Um, and she wasn't allowed to go anywhere. Wow. So, I mean, I'm a tough parent, but my kids have, a tremendous amount of freedom. Yeah. Yeah, we live under a, a process of choice. Like, you can make any choice you want. Just be aware that there are consequences good and bad for every single choice. Uh, exactly. Absolutely. But You chose to do this, yeah. so this is what I, this is now what I choose to do, which is to ground you for a week. <laughs> exactly. And I say to her all the time at the beginning of the grounding, if you just do this for seven days, you're done. Yeah. Don't ask me to go out. Don't ask me to be on your phone past seven o'clock. Don't ask me if you can get ungrounded or if you can do something. Just make it through this week. Realize what the punishment was. Realize why we did it. And then let's just move on. That's so smart. And it's really easy. It's just a simple practice. You're not, you know, yeah, it should work. Well, her, her jackass, her jackass boyfriend oh dear. got, uh, he decided to smoke weed. And then drive my girls around. The kid had his driver's license oh. for five days. So I yeah. said to Fiona, I said, you are not allowed in his car and you're not allowed to go out with him until he calls me. Has he? And I'm, and, and I'm not, yes. And, and I'm, not a, I'm not a dad who sits at the front door with a shotgun. Yeah. I'm a dad who just says, respect my girls. Yeah. It's that simple. So uh, he called me and I was boarding a plane. And I was like, I can't speak to you right now. I will call you back when I get a couple of minutes when I land in Charlotte. Okay, yes, Mr. Duffy. And I land in Charlotte, and I'm sitting in the Admiral's Club, and I'm like, I've got to call this kid. So I call him, and he, he starts off with apologizing profusely, and I said, stop talking. Listen to what I have to tell you right now. Not only 
did you put the lives of my daughters in jeopardy? But you put yourself in jeopardy and the life of all of the people around you. You're fit. You're 17 years old. And you feel that you're man enough to smoke weed and then go and drive a car after you've mm. had your driver's license for five days. Yeah, that's just terrible. <clears throat> I said, if I ever hear of anything like that happening again, the first thing I'm doing is calling the police. And then I'm calling your parents to let them know that I called the police. Wow. Like, you're, you're not going to play. You're not going to play roulette with my children no. in the car. You're just not, you're not to that point. And I hate to say it. We have all driven drunk. Mm-hmm. All of us. Yeah. You know, especially if you grew up in the eighties and the nineties, Yeah, we drove drunk and we, if you did not get a DUI, you were fucking lucky. Yeah. That's if true. you didn't kill somebody, you were lucky. It was that simple because, because we all did it. Yeah. We were stupid. It was, you know, that was the time of mad mothers against drunk driving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I went out last night and I had one drink at a whiskey dinner and I, I didn't want to drive home. Oh. I just don't want that responsibility. Yeah. You don't want that on, behind life. me. Yeah. <clears throat> now, I mean, I drove home because I was fine, but it was a thought for me. Yeah. I mean, it was something that I did think about. And yeah. I told my girls, you're just as me. You are just as responsible as he is. If you knew that he was high, you should have either not gotten in the car or gotten out of the car when you realized that he was. Pull over. I've pulled over on highways when I've been out with people on the road. And be like, pull over. Don't even, I'm not even going to discuss this with you. Pull over to the side of the road and I will have an Uber pick me up on the highway. And I've done that in the past. Good for you. I don't want to be involved in it. I do not want to be involved in it. Well, I'm glad so. this kid called you. I mean, that's, it can be kind of scary well, for a teenager. So that's kind of, totally. you know, that's a, my daughter's, pretty, my daughter's a badass though. He's a pretty good I dude. He just made a yeah, dumb yeah. choice. He made a mistake. He made a stupid choice. Hopefully well, he's not going to repeat it. And he was trying to be cool and he was trying to show off. But yeah. I said to my daughters, you should have, you of all people, the two of you know how I feel about that. There are so many things that I say to them when I hang up the phone or when they go out, I'm like, Hey, do me a favor. Do not ever get in a car with somebody who's been drinking and driving and do not. And, and if you're going to have sex, wear a, use a condom. Yeah. <laughs> Those Done. are the two rules. <laughs> Those are the rules. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, my, my, I've had full conversations with my daughters in life. You know, you're going to try drinking. So what am I, who am I to tell you not to, not to drink? Yeah. Just make sure that you're in a very safe environment, no matter what you're doing and do not get in the car with somebody, no matter what. Yeah. My daughters have, we have a code word and that code word is bamboo. If you text me bamboo and then you send me an address, I'm showing up at that house and I'm not asking any questions. You're getting in the car and I'm taking you home. That's awesome, like, I, I just, I wanted to try to give them that opportunity. My ex-wife is a, is a, is a, is a good mom. She's just a little bit dramatic, you know? So if, if the girls called her and said, Hey, can you come pick me up? You know? And then she were to say, well, why? I'm tired. I'm in bed. Like, so I put a code word attached yeah. to it. No, so that there's no word. questions yeah, that asked. Makes sense. Yeah. Then you, you know, know. I mean, yeah. And, yeah. And you're going to try smoking weed. Yeah. Try it. Go ahead. It's, it's more mainstream now than it ever has been. I didn't start smoking weed until I was 36 years old. Oh, wow. And at that point, I think I bought like, you know, a, a, I don't know, a gram of, I still don't know how much weed is. But, I, I've um, never gotten the measurements down either. <laughs> No, I'm like, oh, it's 50 bucks. Okay, cool. Thanks. I don't know how much is there, but thank you. Um, <laughs> but I had the same bag of weed for like nine months. Like that's how much weed I smoked. So yeah. I, but, but I've said to my girls, you're going to try it. Just make sure that where you are is a safe environment. That's all I ask. Don't ever put anything up your nose. Don't ever put a needle in your arm and don't ever take a pill. I bought Emily. I bought her a fanny pack with enclosed uh, water bottles so that she, when she goes to festivals, can put her drinks in the water bottles. Oh, smart. So that nobody can put a roofie in her. My girls know not to accept a drink from anybody else. Like, I'm just super, I'm super cautious. Yeah. And and they're streetwise to that. That's good. That's going to help them a lot. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I was given girls. I got to do something right. Right? Yeah. And it's, it's, I, I can't imagine. I got two boys. I'm grateful every day. Well, well, you know what? Yeah, they're just gonna <laughs> you break know what they, stuff, right? 
they're and they smell like shit. <laughs> well, mine are five and seven. They don't smell that bad yet, except for maybe oh morning. Oh my god! Breath, Wait, but... give it five five years, I... and they're gonna smell horrible. <laughs> they're gonna smell horrible. I had my nephew lives with me for two and a half years. My sister and her kids lives with me and my girls for two and a half years, and it was horrific. Mm. And my house smelled like salt and vinegar potato chips for years because of this kid's feet. Oh, dear. It was so bad. That but makes you know what they say. sound less appetizing. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> when you have boys, you got to worry about one dick. When you got girls, you got to worry about all the dicks. I know. That's what I've always said, too. <laughs> yep. Yep. So. I would much rather only worry about the two that are in my house than you exactly, know. and they're peeing all over the goddamn floor, never flushing the toilet. Oh yeah. my god, the struggle is real. <laughs> <laughs> so my true. girls, well, I my girls literally like I'll my daughter will yell up the steps into my bedroom, and she'll be like, "Dad, flush the toilet and put." the seat down and i'm like i'm sorry i'm sorry you know that's my 17 year old so, that's hilarious oh my gosh yeah yeah i have that but conversation we, with my five-year-old brian so you know <laughs> yeah but he's, i mean he's just he's just grabbing and peeing you know yeah yeah he's i'm lucky if, he, if he hits the target at this point um <laughs> yeah kid i know it's so funny so um anything uh Anything you want people to like know about you or um, how to reach you, everything like that. Like, obviously, <laughs> we've, we've covered this, but like, how, how do people reach you? How do people like go? Where's your restaurant? Give me a website. So, I have, I'm, gonna put uh, it so I'm involved, I'm involved in, in a bunch of different restaurants right now. Um, my, my, my location where I am the sole owner of is in Philadelphia, it's in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And it's called Ardmore Q. That's A-R-D-M-O-R-E and the letter Q. So it's ardmoreq.com. You can go there to check stuff out. I'm starting a whole new program because I travel and I live all over the world. Um, people want to get my products, but they're not in Philadelphia all the time. So I'm starting a whole new thing with ribs and brisket where you can order them online and we'll ship them to your house. Nice. Um, so people can get a taste of what it is that I do that because look, I'm on Instagram all the time. I've got, you know, over a hundred thousand followers on all my social media platforms and people are like, my God, I wish I was close. So I wish I was nearby. I wish I could come in and taste it. Can't wait until I get to Philly. So I'm going to give them an opportunity. You're going to be able to give them like the instructions on the ribs of how to do it nice. and all that stuff. Um, but for me, that's like my creative outlet at this point. I have a consulting business, so I help and I work with restaurants all over the country. Um, not so much restaurants that are struggling because when a restaurant is struggling, they tend to not pay their bills. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't really get involved with them as much as I do with people that want organization of their restaurants. They're having an issue with their food cost or they're having their, an issue with their chef or because I kind of consider myself, and this is going to sound very self-righteous, but I'm kind of like a chef whisperer in a way like, I want to get in and I want to bring you back to the passion of why you started in this business in yeah. the first place. Why are you creative? Because we're seeing a lot of older chefs right now, you know, hitting that 40 and 50 year old mark and they're a little bit tired. They're not really sure what they want to do. So I'm here to kind of help them to streamline them, to make them more organized, to make them more efficient. So they're not spending 60 and 70 hours in a week, yeah. work your 45 and 50 hours and get out. We do it through organization. Um, I have a, a show on food network that's called opening night. Um, that is, has our first two episodes have aired. We're waiting for the remaining to air, but it's holidays right now. Yeah. So unless you're into like my favorite holiday cake, you're not going to see my show right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good show. So, I've, I've, we've definitely watched it. We've got our TiVo set for it. So when the episodes come out, it'll, it'll be watched in this house. Well, and it's for, for me, the whole idea behind the show was the last seven days before you open a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to keep it informative and entertaining at the same time. So I'm not a yeller and screamer. Everybody knows me from Bar Rescue, you know, and the way that I was on there and, and, and the, what nice I, the way that I reacted. Yeah. So now <laughs> for me, it's a little bit more, you know, I start off meetings with moments of silence. Let's all take a couple of minutes and let's just take a breath. Yeah. You know, if I start the day and we had a really shitty night before, we go through a whole process of let's just let it go. Let last night go. 
We've learned, we made our mistakes. We know what we can and cannot do. Kitchen, you guys need to be a little bit more organized. Do me a favor. Let's get full counts down now. Servers, it seems like we ran out of lemons last night. Nice tea. Let's do a double batch and let's cut 10 more lemons. You know, like let's really learn from our mistakes last night, but let's forget about the issues that we had. Let's move forward. Let's take a moment of silence, four-part breathing, like that sort of stuff. I try to get people a little bit more involved. Mm -hmm. Um, We try to keep things super positive when we're in restaurants. And that's really what I did on the show. I have a tremendous amount of sarcastic moments where I look around and go, okay, that's cool. We're opening in two days and we don't have any recipes yet. Yeah, that's going to work for us. Um, You know, like I try to bring those moments in, but they're all very teachable moments for the show. Um, I have a podcast as well. The podcast is called Duffified Live. And Christy, I'm shocked that I haven't gotten you on yet. I know that you and I have spoke about it, (laughs) Um, but we've got to get you on the show. I would love it. um, So we can talk about all the stuff that you do. Um, You and I met, and I know I'm all over the place right now, (laughs) but you and I met in, um, in California. Yeah. And there was an, there was an, there was an instant, kind of connection that happened I think between you and I um, because I was you're a very dynamic individual and you're a very um, positive person and you're a force and I was connected I was drawn to that force of you and and I knew that we were going to have a a a a lifelong friendship from that point and to me that's something that's really cool and you know in in nightclub and bar you're going to be speaking in nightclub and bar I'm on the board for that so I'm really glad that you're going out there because it's an opportunity for you to teach what it is that you teach and what you do and the passion for what you have and I think that these trade shows and everything else have lost the passion. We're so focused on the business of it that we need to find the root of why we're all doing what we do, because I think it makes it a little bit easier. And I like what you do and the programs that you're involved in. Thank Um, you. So I have a podcast. I also, um, we have a show that's going to be coming out in a little while called bar crashers, which is all about uh, some of the greatest bars and dive bars and small clubs and stuff throughout the entire country in little places that you would never imagine, like Pawtucket, Rhode Island, okay. um, where there's a really cool bar in Pawtucket, Rhode Island that has uh, uh, that has an it's an amazing history. And they have a, a mixology program where they're making their own mixers and they're making their own aperitifs and they're making their own product everything is unbelievable for what they're doing in this in this little tiny town so we focus on the positive things that people are doing we give a little bit of um of insight and a little bit of instruction to where they could possibly be doing things a little bit differently, but it's never about the negativity. I want you who owns a 5,000 square foot uh, sports bar in Pawtucket, Rhode Island to see a 5,000 square foot sports bar in Phoenix, Arizona and say, Hey, we're doing the same things. What a great idea that they're doing out there. Maybe I can incorporate that into Mm -hmm. mine. It's a web series. It's with my partner, a gentleman named Michael Tips, who is one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever looked at. Plus, he's a great dude. Um, And he's a very close friend of mine. He's very knowledgeable. And he's got a really good passion about the industry as well. So that's that's what I do. That's exciting. I love that idea. I'm very, I'm very, you know, me like my what gets me going is the people and like the conversation sure. and the opportunity like really to to see somebody and communicate what you see that's positive about them to them because they may not be in that space where they're recognizing their yeah what they're good at you know and providing that and it's it's really nice to mirror somebody's strengths back to them so i think that's well and badass. i love that. Uh, somebody gave me the book, The One Minute Manager, years ago. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, if you think about the concept of that is, here's where we are. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend one minute telling you what it is that happened and what we need to do to fix that. And then we're going to move on. Mm-hmm. You know, then we're going to move on. And, and we're, we're, we're in such a weird space in our life where everybody is super sensitive about so much You know, and I say to my employees all the time, like, you're here to do a job. What I'm going to speak to you about now is a part of that job that I need you to focus on a little bit better. Yeah. You know, I'm not attacking you on a personal level. I'm not telling you you're ugly. I don't, it's, I'm not saying I don't like your shoes 
What I'm saying to you is that your close was not what it should have been done. What can I do to help you to close a little bit better? Here's a checklist with all of the information. Now let's move forward. Yeah. You know, and we've, we're, we're losing that art in, in the hospitality industry because people are super sensitive anymore. So we've got to try to find the positives in things. And it's really, it's really easy because I mean, it shouldn't be as hard as it seems sometimes, you know, right. I'm with you. Yeah. Well, I love yeah, what you're exactly. doing. I love, um, I love your approach of, you know, combining common sense with kindness seems yeah. like it's pretty <laughs> simple, but for some reason, a lot of folks can't pull it off as brilliantly yeah. as you do. So yeah, I think I think oh, nice. really highly of you. You know that, and we did. We connected right away, and I just thought you're super cool and chill and down to earth. And I really, I just, I like the the person that you are in real life, and I really admire the person you are when the cameras are on you, because so often that's a caricature of a human, and it's you. It's authentic yeah. of you, and I appreciate that. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's funny. I shot a show. I shot a show with somebody, and. And we did a couple episodes and we had worked some stuff out and network had come back and they said, we made a mistake. We tried to soften you up when you're very good at what you do in the manner that you do it. Ah, You know, like they were trying to change what it was that I was, which I'm not an actor. You know, I start TV shows by letting producers know I'm a chef first and foremost. That's what I do. You need me to do something for you. Tell me to do that. Yeah. If you don't like the way that I did it, then let me know rather than you know anything else because i'll always say at the end of doing something with tv are you guys cool with that is there any other way that you'd like me to do it no okay great then let's move on you know because i want clarity and i want closure on something that we're working on and i know that you know i'm a chef i i know what my place is in this industry and they're a producer they know what they have to get yeah i'm just trying to give you that content so it's kind of fun and i appreciate that the kind words of that and i feel the same way about you and i'm excited to see you in vegas yeah hopefully we'll see you back out in uh in sonoma uh at the beginning of the the you know at the beginning of spring um doing that stuff again with harv and all that i don't know if you you know that's a great event and yeah yeah so absolutely there we go absolutely well thank you so much for being a part of this show it means so much to me to have have you on especially as my first male guest and also my first love it member of the culinary side of our business i mean you are thank you really truly that is my absolutely my pleasure and thank you so much for having me on and um and all your guests and listeners or all your listeners out there come on man let's go have some fun share everybody and tell everybody about lawler out loud (laughs) thank you and thank you all for tuning (laughs) in to lawler out loud mixing up the mainstream